Hello and welcome to another episode of Paddock Pass Podcast. My name is David Emmett of MotoMatters.com and with me is... Neil Morrison of Crash.net and Road Racing World. And... Tony Goldsmith from Asphalt and Rubber and Bike Sport News. And we have a special guest with us from Asphalt and Rubber and uh, the Two Enthusiasts po- uh, podcasts. Uh, that is Jensen Beeler. Welcome, Jensen. Thank you, David. Long-time listener. First-time caller. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lie because you've called me lots <laughs> what you've called me you said you, you don't wouldn't want to... tell about that <laughs> exactly we won't say what he's called you either. Uh, exactly exactly right so we've got quite a lot to talk about because uh, it's been a fairly eventful uh three races really hasn't it um has has it i didn't i didn't notice well you wouldn't you were out taking pictures uh <laughs> The, uh, well, I mean, we have to talk about what happened at Sepang. Uh, Sepang was an absolutely amazing and bizarre and strange race, but we can't talk about what happened at Sepang uh, without talking about uh, Philip Island first. So, um, uh, Tony and Neil, you were both uh, there. Neil, I mean, talk us through the race. It was such a, it was such a fantastic MotoGP race at, uh, at Philip Island. Uh, four men going at it, hammer and tongs, um, and an amazing last lap to actually win. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm, I've kind of been racking my brain since the race in Phillip Island and trying to remember one that has been or one that was so intense. I mean, I can't really think of a race that was just from the first lap until the last uh, as intense as that. You know, just every lap, insane amounts of overtaking. Um, you know, so much on the line in terms of the championship. Um, and you know, watching three of the best. You know, three of the best guys. I think, as you said in your in your roundup report, you know, that have ever raced, along with Ian O'Neill as well, who's kind of you know staking his claim to to join that elite band. Um, you know, it was just a staggering race, really. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was just astonishing watching them uh, go at it like that. And I don't think I've ever seen a race where they just couldn't nobody could really make a break people were would get a little bit of a gap and then come back again and then uh, uh and then bunch up and they were just passing and passing and of course we had pass of the race which was for me andrea ianoni uh what was it last lap or lap before last yeah perhaps so maybe maybe a, a lap before that even maybe three laps from the flag yeah exactly to do uh both uh, what was it Marquez and um, uh, to do both Marquez and Rossi in one go uh, I think that proves that you're quite good on a motorbike yeah exactly yeah yeah um, and it, it all came as quite a surprise really because on the Saturday um, from looking at free practice times and then a qualifying itself it appeared that uh, young Mr. Marquez was going to zoom off into the distance um, but it quickly became apparent in, in morning warm-up that Jorge had found something. In fact, both the Yamahas seemed to have found something. And um, yeah, I think I think I was quite surprised, really, just to to see the fact or to see you know them all so so close together. Um, thinking you know a day before that it was going to be a, a Marquez walk in the park. Yeah, I mean, do, do you think that was also a little bit of um, uh, just the nature of the track, the fact that it, it has so many different things that it uh so different aspects to the track uh fast corners a couple of slow corners uh a, a bit of a straight but enough for enough places to uh, it sort of balances out the various aspects of a bike making it much a much more even uh, more level playing field perhaps 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think the the final race time attests to that. Um, the top seven were separated by eight seconds or something like that. Um, top six were by six seconds. Um, but then, you know, also, I think the, the race in Phillip Island was a little bit hotter than it had been for the rest of the weekend. Yeah. Um, we know that this year's Honda is a little bit more sensitive to, you know, very small things, small changes in track temperature and track conditions. I mean, I think we saw it um, at Le Mans earlier in this year. Marquez was light years ahead of everyone in morning warm-up. And then once it got hotter in race, his bike just became an uncontrollable beast. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so the, the conditions, I think, played a part in that. And I think he said that after the race that, um, you know, that kind of caught him, not, not caught him out, but made him have to ride a little bit within himself. Um, and then that is perhaps what uh, what opened up and what allowed Valentino to, to eventually say what he did. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, the, obviously, uh, Marquez said that he'd uh, he'd overheated his, his front tire a little bit and, and had to back off. Um, now, I wrote uh, that uh, in in one of my roundups that um, uh, Bradley Smith had claimed the same thing at some point in time. Uh, I think he did it at Brno, and I seem to remember him yep. doing uh, doing it uh, another time as well, just pushing a little bit too hard, and then by backing off just a fraction, it, it allows the tire to come back just ju- just enough to you to you know. To start pushing again, but I, I can see how if you are completely paranoid, that's going to make you feel very, very, um, uh, very complicated. But it, it does. It, it's like you say at Le Mans, uh, the bike is the Honda is so sensitive to, especially at the front, because they're they're, they're having to ride on the front so much because they can't use the rear to brake. Um, uh, it's very, very sensitive to to temperature. If the temperature just goes up just a little bit. Uh, you know, a, a few degrees. You've got your setup right for for whatever it might be for for a track temp of maybe 28 or 29 degrees. And if the track temp is 35 degrees, then um, it doesn't quite work the way you in you intended. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, um, yeah. I, th- I think Bradley Smith. What you'd what you'd said before uh, about Bradley over, overheating his tire in in uh, Brno and then having to slow down. Um, I spoke to one or two different people in Sepang. Um, one of the guys that works for Bridgestone, um, and he kind of concurred with that. He said that he could understand with the uh, the asymmetrical front tire. He could see how it would have overheated on the super soft side. I think that was the right side of the tire. Yeah. Um, and he said that you know from feedback he is he's received this year, um, there's been you know one or two cases where that has been the case. A rider has had to slow down, and as they gradually bring it back up to you know the highest level of working temperature, um, they've been able to do that without any uh, ill ill fated consequences. Which is, I mean, it's actually a proof that they've built just an amazing tyre to be able to actually do that, uh, you know, yeah. heat it up a little bit and then and then lose it again. But uh, uh, Tony, to come to you, I mean, obviously after the race, uh, Valentino made these accusations that uh, um, uh, that Mark had been toying with everyone. You were out trackside taking photographs. Did, I mean, did it just look like a knockdown, dragout race, or could you see that? Uh, was there anything you could see? Uh, no, I was probably as surprised as anybody else when I heard those allegations from Valentino. Um, it just looked like we were we had a great race on our hands, and early on in the in the race, it looked like Lorenzo was going to get away. Actually, um, so I was quite surprised when when they pulled him back in, and then 
I think from the outside looking in, it would be impossible to comment that, yes, he, he was playing with them, certainly from the sections uh, of the track where I was. Uh, it just looked like a, a really great battle. And, I mean, I've often said to you guys, I, I look forward to getting home and watching these races because half the time you don't see them. But on this particular race, you could see that you had a fantastic race in our hands. And I did manage to get a copy of it uh, and watched it on the journey over to Malaysia. And uh, I, I, I don't think I'm uh, expert enough to be able to say that Mark was definitely sandbagging in places. I think that would be to the naked eye to, to someone like myself it would be impossible to say that that's what he was doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it it just never struck me that he might be doing something like that. But then again, uh, when you're actually watching the race, you're so wrapped up in what's going on that you don't. Um, sometimes it's hard to sort of see these things. But there, I think there were a couple of riders who I think Johan Zarko afterwards said that, uh, or uh, that he thought that there was something odd going on. But then maybe you see what's the difference between actual sandbagging and um, letting your front tire cool off. You know, it it it's so difficult to say what's one and what's the other. Hmm. I suppose um, people who race the, these bikes may be in a better position to to comment than than the likes of myself. But uh, I, I could certainly never look at look at that race and say yes, Mark was doing this or Mark was doing that. Uh, it just looked like we had a, a genuinely fantastic race on our hands, but there may be people that know more than me. Yeah, uh, Jensen, um, what did you think of the race? I thought it was fantastic. I mean, that was that was the thing that surprised me so much in Malaysia to hear uh, Valentino make those comments because I'm sitting there thinking, you know, what a fantastic race we were just treated to the race weekend before, and uh, you know, there's no suspicion on my end and and at the time of the race, and then going back and looking at the data and you know, analyzing everything, like, I, I still don't see it. Um, you know, Rossi's obviously, and, and his people around him are obviously seeing something very different in the timesheets and very different in the video than, than what I'm experiencing. Yeah, I mean, that, that was think, it. Go on. Sorry, sorry. I think, um, I think in, you know, I'm not putting forward a case to defend Valentino, but if you do look at Mark's times, you know, they were quite erratic um, through the uh, throughout the race. You know, there were, if I think, someone um, on the Thursday of the press conference in, in Sepang, um, that now infamous press conference, someone posted like a, a chart of the kind of, uh, of, of his lap times and they were quite erratic. You know, you could see like big fluctuations all over the place, but again, you know, that, that's something that could be explained by, by the front tire. You know, he has got an alibi there, um, which, which kind of rings true. Well, if you look at it, just like kind of an Occam's razor kind of perspective, if Marquez is trying to hurt Rossi, why does he win the race? Yeah, exactly. Yep. That, that was that was the first thing I said when he made these accusations. And, and of course, we all saw uh, Lorenzo laugh and say, yes, of course, he definitely helped me on the last lap, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was certainly what, what convinced me. I mean, yeah, if he really wanted to help him, he would have... Uh, he would have made a mistake on that fatal pass and uh, and just let um uh, let Lorenzo win you know he would have had every reason uh for it to happen on the other hand you could also say that it was actually Ianoni who um uh, who was conspiring against Valentino because it was it was Ianoni who passed him on the last lap i think that actually has a lot more credibility especially when you see the interaction between Ianoni and Lorenzo and Park Ferme yeah yeah, I think I think Ian Odie was just pleased to be back in Park Ferme. So. Oh yeah, I don't I don't think anything suspicious of it. But if you want to play devil's advocate and put your tinfoil hat, I think that's the better argument. 
there, there is one thing which uh, which I noticed, which has has kind of gone a little bit overlooked um, throughout kind of free practice and qualifying in in Phillip Island. Lorenzo was getting trailed quite a lot by Rossi and by Iannone. Is is uh, his crew were showing him a board or on his board straight away that this was happening um, on in morning warm up. Iannone kind of got onto the back of Lorenzo again, and straight away his crew came out with it. A little sign on the board saying Iannone's behind you and for the first time all weekend Lorenzo didn't let up Lorenzo kept going ahead and I think Iannone posted his two fastest times of morning warm-up as a result of Lorenzo's toe and I was just thinking was that maybe Lorenzo just saying okay sit in behind me here and I'll show you a few lines or two that might come in handy during the race uh, you see that's actually uh, that's actually a realistic um theory because it's fine for uh yeah i mean obviously lorenzo needs as many people between him and rossi as possible all the time and so if he thinks that okay maybe ianoni is going to be fast enough he would let him in behind him to sit on the tail uh get it sorted out yeah it, that that might happen but it still seems improbable mm. i think that helps in the qualifying situation i don't think it's so much lorenzo being like Iannone, here's a couple lines that can help you with your racecraft. I think that's Lorenzo thinking, hey, wouldn't it be great to get one of those Ducatis between me and Valentina? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Exactly. Well, I mean, obviously we had the, the whole thing. And then afterwards, um, uh, I think it's a pang. Um, sorry, yes, Marquez. It's a pang. Marquez said that uh, Rossi came up to him afterwards and sort of said, you know, what were you doing messing around with us? Uh, but it, it it just seems it seems all extremely probable. And then then we go to Sepang and we have that press conference. I mean, I was confused. I mean, what was the atmosphere like in the press in the in the press conference itself? Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was quite quite surprised. Most of the people were taken aback uh, whenever Valentino started making his accusations. I saw pretty much. Every journalist in the room looking to either their left or the right, you know, kind of, you know, saying to each other, did he just say, is he saying that? Is that, is this possible? Um, I think, I think it had been reported in one of the Spanish uh, sports dailies um, the day before. Um, someone had spoken to, um, maybe had spoken to Rossi um, and he had said this, um, but the fact that he, he didn't just repeat it, he then produced, you know, the lap times from Phillip Island, uh, the fact that he you know, really went to town on on Mark, you know, when he was speaking to the Italian press after the press conference. It was just crazy. Like, I, I couldn't believe what I was reading, you know, really laying into him. Exactly. But what surprised me was not so much the, 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 the actual press conference itself. The press conference itself was actually... Uh, I, when Rossi started saying those sort of things, you were... Uh, you know, you were sort of like laughing. You're thinking, oh, he's making a little joke. He's playing his little mind games. But um, afterwards, when you saw the pictures and what he was actually doing and telling the, the Italian press, it, as you say, he was really, uh, he was really laying into it. He was, you know, giving it hammer and tongs. And it was planned, you know, it was, yeah. it was something that he'd been, he'd been sitting thinking about for a few days. Um, maybe that was through, through anger, uh, or maybe it was just like some t little tactic that he thought would work well. Uh, I'm not sure, only he knows that. Um, but, you know, the, the ramifications for what he said really came back in the end to, to haunt him. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was a tactic. I think he said to the uh, uh, was it on Friday or Saturday that you know he doesn't know he didn't know if he's made a mistake or not, but it, at least he was sleeping at night. But um, <laughs> uh, the, the sleeping at night won't have lasted very long. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I think initially um, I could kind of see see the thought process behind it um, because obviously uh, the first conclusion I had come to was. He wants Mark just to clear off in the final two races, and if Mark can deny Jorge scoring 25 points in both Sepang and Valencia, that makes it much easier for Rossi to eventually maintain his 11-point lead, I think it was, going yeah. into Sepang. Um, and then I was thinking maybe this is just Valentino needing to, you know, stir the flames inside himself just to kind of carry him over this last stretch, you know, because he was looking pretty aged on the, the podium in Motegi, I thought. Um, you know, as as old and as wearied as I think I've ever seen him. You know, he really looked like he'd kind of the stress of the whole thing was kind of beginning to show. Um, and and I was thinking maybe this is one thing where he just needs he just needs that extra little kick. You know, even within himself to kind of you know bring the best out of him in the last two races. Um, yeah, so that was that was all quite interesting. Um, and then um, and then I thought you know maybe the third thing is that. For the rest of the weekend, everyone is talking about him and he's just able to go and do his own thing. You know, Lorenzo was speaking about him on Friday and Saturday. Mark as well. Most of the questions that he fielded were about about the, the comments from Thursday and what kind of effect they were going to have in his weekend. And, you know, all the time, Rossi was just allowed to go and do his thing. And, you know, I thought, OK, maybe this is this is interesting. This was all before the race, of course. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I mean, there is... There's definitely something to that, and it, and it is very very clever to to create that kind of space. But uh, it did just seem that he'd um, I want to say lost it, but then that that might be over uh, overstating it a little bit. Uh, it, 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 like there just seemed to be so much frustration pouring out of him, and you sort of wonder. As you say, I thought that when he got off his bike at Montegi, he looked completely drained. Um, uh, obviously, Philip Island, a race like Philip Island, that takes it out of you as well. Uh, and then you travel to Sepang and just, I mean, I wasn't there. I, just seeing the photos and seeing the, the hay sort of hanging there, you think, oh, my God, that must be, it must be such an in, incredibly oppressive feeling being under, a, under those dark grey skies all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was, it was... Um... It was certainly different. Uh, one of the things we noticed when we went outside was the. It seemed a bit cooler than last year, but um, as you say, the the haze was was difficult to deal with uh, from a photography point of view. So I, I don't know uh, what effect that would have on uh, on the riders, uh, whether it would uh, cause them any uh, significant problems or not. Yeah, yeah. It it, it just seemed really really. It, it just seemed really, really strange. It, I mean, it gave the whole um, atmosphere, the whole pictures. Just, I mean, just just watching it on watching it on TV, it gave the whole thing a totally different feel. Um, it, 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 it it literally cast a shadow over proceedings, um, which uh, well, we had we had a literal one and a a, a, mer- a metaphorical one cast over it by mm-hmm. by, by by the events. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, I was t- I was talking to a, a friend of all of ours uh, over the weekend, and he'd been gauging some reaction from experienced members of the paddock uh, as to what their thoughts to the press conference were, and that the large consensus 
was that they'd just never seen Valentino looking quite that maybe stressed the right word. Yeah. Whether whether the pressure of everything was getting to him and the uh, the consensus was that they just never seen him like this before. No, exactly. I mean, he, he's always won his previous championships. He's always won with a lot of points. The last time he had a small lead uh, uh, in the championship uh, going into the final uh, going into the final race was at uh, Valencia in two thousand and six, and that didn't work out so well. Um, and yes. and he's thirty six. And um, it, to be achieving what he's achieving at his age is absolutely astonishing. Uh, but it's not as easy for him at twenty uh, at thirty six as it is for uh, Mark at twenty two or Jorge at what is he twenty eight? I think yeah, exactly. Um, it's just just that maintaining that that level of mental stress is um, uh, it's it, it's just it's just incredibly just incredibly tough. Exactly. I also think um, another thing that was maybe playing a factor in it was that up until Aragon. Um, I think, you know, from Indianapolis onwards, we could see that Jorge had the pace, had the speed, the outright speed to kind of better Rossi. Uh, but, you know, kind of he was more streetwise. His racecraft was better. You know, he was kind of more adaptable to different conditions, as we saw in Silverstone and yeah. Mizano. Um, but then in Aragon and then again in Phillip Island, you know, you know, for years and years, like how many times when Rossi was in his pomp had we seen him? Um, in a last lap shootout with someone and, and just always winning there was just like a, a kind of inevitability about watching him race like if whether it was he was up against Gibranoi or, or Biaggi or whatever you always just knew on the last lap he would be able to come out on top in Aragon and in Phillip Island you know two last lap uh, shootouts one with Pedroza one with Iannone he came out second best in both of them and I think that must have that must have been playing you know playing on his mind also yeah, exactly. especially to lose to uh, Pedrosa. He's never lost a battle to Pedrosa, and Pedrosa just plain outclassed him. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you can't take anything away from what from what uh, from what Pedrosa did. Uh, it was actually really pleasing to see uh, Pedrosa actually doing that for a change after after such a long time. But um, yeah, I mean, he just totally. Uh, yeah, I mean, he he was beat fair and square, and then he was beat fair and square again at, at Phillip Island. I think uh, I, I think you're right. That that must be difficult. It it must be hard. To, well, it, it must be a hard to accept, and b it must make you fear uh, for your um, what's the word I'm looking for it, for your competitiveness. If you're getting beaten by Pedrosa and then Iannone, you've got to start worrying, okay. And then, of course, also, we've had all race long, or all season long, rather, uh, people saying, uh, everyone is basically saying, all the other eyes are saying, oh, yeah, well, Jorge's faster, but Valentino keeps winning, um, which uh, that's got to get to you as well. If people keep on saying that, you've got to, at some point, you will start wondering, oh, well, is it really? Am I really slower than uh, than the others? David, I think you touched on something really interesting there. We know in psychological research that we tend to internalize our victories and externalize our failures. That is to say, like, when you win, it's because you did something. And when you lose, it's because something happened that uh, was outside of your control. So you know, it's interesting to hear you talk about uh, Rossi losing a fair fight to Danny, losing a fair fight to Andrea, and then we see these accusations come forth from it, uh, and that you know Marquez was was doing something that he shouldn't be doing. So I just 
I thought I'd throw that out there into the mix. No, I think you're absolutely right. It, it, because um, uh, it's never the right... Uh, there has never been a rider in the history of motorcycle racing who said, uh, uh, yeah, it was totally me. Um, uh, I was just rubbish and he was he was just straight and faster than me. Sometimes they will say that publicly and then when you speak to them privately, say, yeah, yeah, well, obviously, you know, the, he's on that bike and so obviously he has an unfair advantage. Uh, but it, it has to be. You have to have that kind of, you know, belief in yourself to actually... Uh, keep competing at this at, at this level. So yeah, that, I think you're right. I think there must be something in that. Then uh, we had the race itself, of course. We had, well, there was a few incidents in in practice as well. Neil, uh, it was FP three, I think, and then in qualifying. Yeah, well, there was an interesting incident between between Jorge and Rossi in FP two at the close of it. Uh, both of them lined up uh, to practice start on the the back straight. Um, Jorge was in front of Valentino. Valentino saw this, pulled up behind him uh, as Jorge was kind of you know I don't know he was stretching. Uh, Valentino started and I wouldn't say brushed his bike, but ran so close to him. You saw it in the the onboard replay. Um, really, really close to him and. Uh, yeah, Jorge was not not pleased at all. Um, so you could see, like Rossi was just trying every every little thing he could do to try and you know get under his skin, you know, be it as subtle or or as obvious as that. Um, and that kind of that kind of went unnoticed as well, I think, throughout uh, throughout the weekend. Um, which was yeah, which was really interesting. And obviously the the incident between himself and Marquez in FP three, uh, Marquez just uh, was was letting him know that he, that he was there. Um, he Rossi had slowed. He saw Marquez behind him. Um, he kind of sat up and, you know, nodded his head to say, move on by. Uh, Mark refused to do so and uh, and basically then followed Rossi around. Um, I think this was towards the end of the session and, and posted his fastest lap in Rossi's toe. Um, you know, just to say like, okay, after you after you said what you said, I'm not going to I'm not going to take orders from you. You know, I'm not going to do what you've what you asked me to. All, yeah. all, all, all very interesting before the, the race, of course. Exactly. It reminds me a lot of um, uh, of cycling, where you you're used to having the what they call the patron, the uh, the, the boss of the peloton, and um, the everyone listens to the boss when the boss speaks, and that means that the boss always has you know the he's the top dog, he has the best seat, or he has the best spot of the peloton, the safest part the part when when in the bunch when a big bunch is all is all riding together. Uh, and then occasionally a young uh, a young rider will come along and and try and take over that role. So maybe this is this is what's happened to uh, uh, to Valentino. You know, he he was the boss, and uh, now he's got a bunch of young upstarts disrespecting him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I thought um, it was interesting though because on in qualifying after Rossi had knocked Lorenzo off the front row, I think it was the first time since Aston Lorenzo. Um, had had been knocked off the front row, and the first time since Aston, I think that Rossi had like, qualified him. Mm. Um, in the the post race press conference, Rossi seemed quite quite calm actually, compared to you know compared to the guy that we've that we've previously been talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, and it kind of seemed, and Jorge started talking about um, his brakes were overheating. Uh, he was saying that he had to run a cover on his front discs. Um, I spoke to someone at Brembo, and they said that uh, he wasn't having overheating issues with his front brakes. So it was almost as if either Jorge was was given an excuse, or his team had been giving him an excuse uh, to to kind of explain the, the kind of front end issues he had had on Saturday afternoon. Um, and I thought of of the two of them, Jorge looked to be the one that was under the most pressure. 
Yeah. Um, yes. I mean, we mustn't forget in all of this that both of them are under incredible, uh, incredible pressure. I found it really interesting what Danny Kent said. Um, I can't remember if it was in the pre-event pre pre press conference or, or, or afterwards that uh, it's actually. Uh, chasing a championship is a lot easier than actually leading a championship. The, the leading a championship is because you're always defending all, uh, all of the time. Um, uh, obviously, it's different for Danny Kent because he's, you know, this is his first championship in uh, in Moto Three, whereas Valentino is uh, what the, the, chasing his tenth. Uh, so he's not exactly a rookie to, the, to this whole thing, but it's um, it, it's still incredibly incredibly stress, stressful. So yeah, perhaps putting a little bit of pressure on on Jorge as a way to try to uh, unsettle him. And we all know that yeah, I mean when things go wrong for Lorenzo, he can he can react quite badly, which is why he's so carefully managed by Yamaha. Yeah, exactly. And it was the kind of, um, I think that was EE e. crashed in FP4. That was only his third crash at a race meeting this year. Um, and I think in the other two crashes, he's had an excuse. He's had something very clear to, to kind of point the finger at uh, to explain why he fell. Um, I got the impression here he wasn't he wasn't so sure uh, what, what caused the crash. Um, you know, he had a vague feeling with the front, but he wasn't, he didn't seem that confident. Or at least he wasn't letting on um, that he knew uh, what, what the cause of that was. Yeah, yes. I mean, it's obvious, well, as I said, it's obvious that they're both suffering, really starting to suffer from nerves uh, and all these little things are starting to come out. Yeah. Uh, then we had the race. Um, and, I mean, uh, Danny just took off and was gone. Uh, absolutely fantastic race by uh, by Danny Pedrosa. Uh, no contest about that. Um uh, also, Jorge. I think also Lorenzo. We talked about um, um, uh, Andre Iannone's pass at Philip Island. I think Lorenzo's pass on the two Ducatis on the lap one. I think that yeah. uh, that's that's right up there. That was just an absolutely fantastic, uh, a fantastic piece of passing as well. Um, yeah. And then then we start getting into conspiracy theory territory <laughs> and and uh, and worse. Yeah, even I think uh, it's worth mentioning um, Lorenzo's pass on Rossi, uh, which came on, I think, at the start of lap two. Yeah. He, he, whenever they crossed the line, he was like a tenth and a half, maybe two tenths behind Rossi and just let his brakes off going into the first turn. It was just a staggering, staggeringly confident move, you know, and it, it was just the, the guy that kind of seemed a little unsure of himself um, the day before had just completely, you know, been replaced by this self-assured ultra confident guy who yeah. was you know completely completely like entrusting with um you know his front tire um you know and i think i think those opening laps from lorenzo he was riding like like a champion uh, yeah absolutely absolutely i mean there was there was absolutely no uh, uh, no no question that um lorenzo was riding a fantastic he rode a fantastic opening laps uh then he catches marquez marquez makes a mistake and and, and passes him um was it a mistake though did 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 marquez let him through or or did he just run wide can we, can we do this by a show of hands i mean <laughs> okay, from, from my perspective i i think he let him he let him through why do you think he let him through? Uh, just, just the way the the pass went about. Just the way that Marquez just kind of came off the line casually, and then it didn't seem like in in his body language that it was a mistake. Oh, uh, but you, I mean, uh, 
it, to me, turn four, where that happened, uh, that was the place where Marquez, because Marquez made a number of mistakes at that corner, it was the it, it was the corner he'd been having trouble with most uh, most during the weekend. So it it looked to me like he just missed his braking marker and and ran on and uh, left the door open, left the door open by not being able to brake in time. Yeah, the, the only thing I would add is is at the the end of lap two down, so basically the first corner of lap three is when. Uh, Lorenzo finally got past Rossi. Yeah. Marquez wouldn't know that information until the following lap, and then we see a few turns later he lets yeah, Lorenzo yeah, yeah. through. So that that's my conspiracy theory. It, it's one of those things I think <laughs> there's plenty of room for argument, but um, just my instinct was that looked that looked very uh, what's the word deliberate. I, the word deliberate is probably the one I'm going to keep coming back to. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? You're a brave man. <laughs> what about you, Neil? Um, I, I'm really, I'm, I'm torn. I, I've no idea. I'm not sure. I mean, like when, um, when Marquez has had moments this year, um, you know, there, you know, you kind of see he's putting so much on the front end, the back end's kind of sliding around all over the place. This was quite strange because the back, like his, his wheels were totally in line going into the corner. Mm. You know, it wasn't like he was kind of sliding all over the place and, um, you know, but then, you know, who are we to, who are we to the judge? You know, we, we don't know what he was feeling underneath him. Um, he said afterwards that he had a similar feeling to, to that of Aragon when he crashed on the second lap trying to chase down Jorge yeah. and he said you know which again is a, is a, is a completely fair alibi you know he, again he said that um, he just wanted to, to avoid that so he kind of he felt something was going he sat up and he, he missed the corner and you know he decided okay like let's build let's build ourselves into this race which you know I think is a is a fair explanation but you know looking back I've watched the I've watched him kind of outbreaking himself a few times um, uh, you know since the race happened uh, I'm torn. I really don't know what to make of it, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, 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 it's so it's so difficult to say. Where were you? Where were you, Tony? Where were you shooting? Uh, I started at the outside of turn two, uh, and then worked my way around to turn four. But I think I missed um, pretty much all of the the shenanigans, we'll call it, uh, the overtaking maneuvers. Uh, by the time I got round to turn four. Marquez had disappeared at that time at that point I had no idea why it wasn't until I got back to part for me that I um, discovered what had happened right because or at least somebody right because there's no at least somebody told me right there, there, there's no there's no screens around that side right because I don't think there's any there's very many grandstands no there's no spectators really around that part your sort of spectating area after the main grandstands is a little bank a banking area after turn two on the way into yep. turn three uh, and then nothing there so there was no there was no screens um, but you could obviously hear the reaction of the crowd so I was aware that the the two of them were in, in, locked in a battle yeah uh, but it wasn't like I say it wasn't until I got back to part for me that I discovered well I was told that Rossi kicked Laurent, uh, Marquez off uh, obviously we've we've had chance to see that and I think we would probably all Four of us would agree that that wasn't the case. Yeah, it it looked like it when I first saw it. When uh, my first reaction was, "My God, he's kicked him off!" But um, 
when we watch it again, I think we can see that that wasn't the case. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it was clearly not. Um, uh, it, it was clear that he wouldn't. I mean, it, it looked to me at the time that what happened was he, he clipped his leg, and his leg had um, uh, his leg, or well. Um, Basically, Rossi and Marquez come together, and Rossi's le- uh, leg slips off the peg because it just looked, it looked more yeah. like his, his foot got caught behind the handlebar than anything else. Um, yeah. Which I can imagine, if you're if you're Mark Marquez, that that feels like a kick. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I'm not buying into the um, headbutt allegations either. No, that, that's 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 just he. I mean, uh, at some point, uh, uh, Gino Rea posted on um, uh, posted on Facebook saying that at the, at that point in the corner, uh, you have to turn in, you have to turn in there or very shortly afterwards. So here, Marquez was just waiting for 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 Rossi to turn in, and Rossi didn't turn in. Um, Marquez turned into him, and so it looks like a headbutt. But it's not. A, it's not a headbutt at all. It's just you know he's turning in. He's already hanging off his bike, and he t- and he uh, leans his bike over, and and his head hits uh, naturally hits um, Rossi's Rossi's leg. Because yeah. the cor- the course of you know the the kind of direction that they're going in, they're going straight to the outside of the track. So Marquez is thinking, okay, he's, he can't surely be pushing me off track yeah. because that's that's basically illegal you know and, and considering how blatant it was you know Rossi was looking over at him and going at such a slow speed you know I think it's only right that he was expecting okay he's going to lift up and this is all just a game you know he's kind of going a bit far here but um, yeah yeah I think um, I think that the headbutt allegation was was ludicrous yeah yeah and up until then it was just it was a fantastic battle it was quite obvious that they were no longer racing for the championship. They were racing just for, uh, uh, yeah, they were, they were racing just for supremacy. It was all about beating the other and it had nothing to do with, with racing other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pride, basically, I think, yeah. is, uh, yeah. is, is what it kind of boiled down to. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of, uh, that, that ego that, you know, that huge ego that the, the, the top racers possess. Um, you know, one of them thinking that uh, they just cannot get outdone by the other one. Yeah, yes, exactly. And especially, um, uh, I think that was Rossi's biggest make, uh, mistake was actually making the uh, making the accusations on the uh, on Thursday. Absolutely. Uh, big, yeah, poking the bear. Yeah, but not just poking him, poking him, standing over him, urinating all over him, <laughs> then giving him a kick afterwards. <laughs> And then he stole his honey. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that was that was that was beyond poking. That was, uh, um, and again, uh, when what Valentino did, I can completely understand why he did it. Uh, if it was me, I probably would have done the same. Um, it's just that what he did, to my mind, was completely illegal. I think most riders we've heard on social media have said they'd have probably done the same in that situation. I think that gets into an an interesting spot, though, where you have what's right and wrong in the rule book and what's right and wrong in the sort of racer code. And I think that's that's where I think a lot of fans are having issue. Because I totally get Mike Webb's decision, and I I see it for what it is as a lawyer, and I I go, yeah, I gotcha. But I can can see it, too, where it's like, but, but Marquez was breaking... Uh, an unspoken rule and, and there's a certain kind of um, right of way that on the track that, that occurs. Uh, yes. Yes. I mean, um, 
obviously, in a championship like this, such a fantastic championship, it's been all year, backwards and forwards. And I think um, uh, I think Crash.net posted up a uh, a chart of the. Uh, uh, the, the, if you like the, the ebb and flow of the championship, of the the uh, the uh, points difference growing and uh, growing and coming back again, uh, or growing and closing and growing and closing, and that I think is just gives you a real sense of how tense this championship has been. Um, and you really do want to see the championship sort of settled out on track. Uh, so yes, you can uh, you can understand that, but every race is a separate entity and you know you you can't stop people from uh well you can't stop people from from racing for their own particular peculiar motivations and you can't stop them from uh, you know getting involved it's basically it's the rider the, the rider who is behind you it, it's a, it's his responsibility to try and get past you um as as best as he can and you can't you can't not expect other riders to to just like give way to you and particularly you can't not expect them to give way to you when you have as we had already said kicked you know and kind of prodded them previously you know in the the previous press conference you know I, you know it shouldn't have been a surprise yeah 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 exactly and uh, again if there was a rider who was going to respond badly to being uh, to being prodded it was surely mark marquez so yeah, uh, yeah. and mark marquez i mean because watching race i really enjoyed the actual the actual duel the battle but it was obvious that um uh, that marquez was uh, he wasn't holding rossi up he was just making rossi's life as hard as possible he was just not going to let him pass he was going to he was saying but you want to get past you bloody well get out of the way you you actually do it you actually you actually work for the work for the position you know i spent a lot of time looking at the video and looking at the sector times and it, it's pretty obvious that when marquez is leading rossi he's a, a tenth or two slower compared to his uh, early laps where there is no interaction with rossi and the laps where he's trailing Rossi and catching back up. Uh, you know, you can chalk that up maybe that he's riding defensively and, and trying to block any passes from Rossi, but I think you can just as well make the argument that he's intentionally trying to slow him. I, I, you see, I don't think he is uh, intentionally trying to, uh, to slow him. I think it's really? uh, it, it reminded me a lot more of um, uh, Laguna Seca 2008 when Rossi raced Stoner knowing that Stoner was faster. And so his only uh, hope of beating him was to stay. Was to get ahead of him, uh, to disrupt his rhythm and make sure he didn't uh, make a break because he knew that if he made a break, um, that would be it. Stoner would be gone. So he had to get in front of him. And Marquez um, didn't want Rossi to get past him. Or he, he just didn't want to let R Rossi... He didn't want to let Rossi go. Uh, I, I'm not sure that he had... The pace again. I think um, uh, Neil. The temperatures. The temperature was a little bit different uh, during the race than, than than we expected. Yeah, it was a little bit higher. Um, I think than it had been for the rest of the weekend. Uh, there was a brief rain shower um, towards the end of Saturday afternoon, and that kind of cleared some of the some of the haze, some of the smoke that surrounded the circuit. Um, so yeah, track temperatures were up. Um, a few of the Moto Two guys I heard um, kind of said that it kind of you know caused. A lot of different problems uh, in bike setup, things that they hadn't been experiencing at the start of the weekend suddenly became 
heightened and magnified in the race. So, you know, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's a possibility that, um, you know, what, what was working on Saturday and Friday, you know, just wasn't quite there on, on Sunday. Yeah, because also it didn't look uh, uh, to me on Saturday, for example, I mean, it's clear that Danny was, um, uh, was quick. Oh, no, Saturday, Danny was really quick. Uh, uh, on uh, Friday, Pedrosa didn't really look like he was going to, you know, just dominate that, dominate that race the way that he ended up doing on, on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, yeah. So we're going back to what Neil Neil said. Um, um, on Saturday night, we had a very heavy rain shower, uh, and then come come Sunday, the conditions were different than they had been all weekend. It was much warmer, uh, and I could see it in my photographs. The photographs were much clearer and crisper. Yeah. So uh, whether that played played uh, 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 into the change to the to the riders in in how their bikes were handling i don't know yeah i think um you know to kind of to, to argue from what jensen was just saying there um i think it was what the fourth lap of the race that rossi first made his move on marquez and yeah. then it kind of continued until lap seven you know we're not talking as if it's the the last three laps of the race here you know if you know if mark you know hadn't let kind of you know the the whole event of the whole weekend's events get the better of him he could have just settled into a rhythm behind Rossi and uh, weighed him up and, and you know tried to do something clean then break you know break away from him um likewise you know Valentino could have done the same thing as well you know I think it was just the, the heat of the moment that kind of overtook both of the guys um and then basically uh, led to Rossi losing losing his cool it, it, I completely agree. I mean, it was basically just a petulant display from the both of them. Neither of them, yeah. uh, neither of them were were willing to let it lie. They wouldn't let it go. They wouldn't just sort of like calm down and uh, uh, and go for it. They just they just kept on going at each other. I think uh, it, it, there are so many of there are so many ifs uh, which this incident opens up that you wonder, you know, well, what if? What if uh, Rossi had had actually just accepted, sat in behind Marquez, and and, and let him go? Uh, what if he'd waited for another point, waited for a uh, for a better place to pass him? You know, there are so many uh, the, 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 there are so many ifs and buts that it's uh, it's really difficult. It's really difficult to tell. But, uh, yeah, I mean, alternate histories are all were always very interesting, but completely theoretical. Yeah, when you look at Rossi's times after the incident uh, on lap seven, I mean, you know, he—I don't think he was ever really matching uh, Jorge in front of him. Although he said, uh, he said in his kind of post-race comments that he felt that you know, uh, had Marquez not been there, he could have challenged Lorenzo for second. But his lap time certainly didn't suggest that. Um, yeah, but, but then again, you know, who knows that you know that that incident could have been playing on his mind, and you know that could have kind of you know maybe his focus wasn't exactly a hundred percent on on the proceedings. You know, we, we we don't know. He he didn't look like he was riding um, no. like his normal self. He looked he just looked depressed on the bike he, because you could tell for immediately after the incident, you could tell his body language changed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and uh, I think the body language of his crew was telling as well, you know, whenever he came into park for me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, th I think at first he was trying to, you know, throw his hands up in the air and say, well, you know, we, I guess we limited, you know, it was a bit of a damage limitation exercise, but the look on Jarvis's face, the look on a couple of his mechanics' faces, you know, they could tell something was, was coming. Yeah. Ab absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So I, I guess that then that begs the question, do we think that he got off lightly? 
That's a, that is a really good question. I actually think, uh, well, first of all, do we think that, the, that uh, he should have been penalised during the race? No. No. Yeah, I, I think that's something that's, that's too important and, and weighs too heavily on, on getting more information to make a decision during the race. I think absolutely the right call to, to wait afterwards. It would have been a very brave man at this stage of the championship to have made that call and black flagged him or um, had a, a ride through penalty at that stage. Yeah. I think race directions learned their lesson with the black flags. You can't take those back for his penalty points and sanctions seem to, those are, those are always something that can evolve more with the situation. It, but they, yeah, I mean, as, as I understand it, I mean, I've spoken to Mike Webber a few times about this, and th- this was exactly the kind of situation that penalty points are, are meant to deal with, uh, to punish someone, to impose a punishment on someone, uh, but allow them to allow race direction to actually think about the decision before actually, you know, just just bringing the bringing the hammer down on someone. Because as you say, you can't undo a black flag. Absolutely. So three points. Uh, to me, it seems to me that race direction gave uh, Rossi three points precisely because he brought his total up to four, so he would have to start at the back of uh, back of the grid. It that seems. You see, I I happen to agree with with race direction. I think it's I think it's the right punishment. Um, I know a lot of people thought well, uh, depending on which camp you're in. Uh, people either thought he shouldn't have been punished at all, or uh, he should have been uh, disqualified completely. But I think that this this strikes just about the right balance because, as Mike Webb said, yeah, you know, it was clear he was provoked. Um, but even when you're provoked, you're not supposed to actually strike out. Yeah, I think it was definitely a punishment, looking for an outcome. That being said, I don't. I'm with you. I don't disagree with it, uh, especially when you look at kind of the precedent that's been put forth in the MotoGP championship and um, uh, you're going to have to help me out with the names of, of the incident, but uh, we, we've had a similar instance of this before where it was completely intentional and the goal was to, to crash ha- the other rider. Yeah. Hanukkah and Guevara at, um, uh, right. at, at, at Jerez. Right. Yeah. Right. So you look at that and that's five penalty points and you kind of work your way back. It's like, okay, well this had a mitigating circumstance. This is obviously provoked. There's something going on the track that's suspicious. So it's not the same. It's definitely a lesser incident. Three penalty points, four penalty points, that two penalty points. You know, you, you can make your arguments, but I think I think three is a good number. And then I think it's very convenient on on what the outcome of three penalty points does to Valentino Rossi with his penalty point from Masano. Uh, uh, to, to me, I think the the argument that I would make is that uh, Hanukkah's penalty wasn't wasn't harsh enough. I think uh, um, I think you could easily punish Hanukkah with a uh, with a you know dis- disqualification for 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 doing what he did, even though it didn't actually affect the outcome of the race because it happened after they'd crossed the finish line. But you just can't go around you can't go around running into people. Yeah, I think Hanukkah's attention was to was to just kind of you know pass by uh, Guevara and kind of brush him you know I don't think he intended to hit into the back of him and then I think uh, Guevara fell and broke his collarbone as a result of that um, but the fact that he came out and admitted that you know he had intended to at least hit him in some shape or form that that's what warranted the the, the five points Mike Webb said afterwards uh, on, on Sunday that Rossi obviously you know kind of protested his innocence and that was the, the difference um, you know um, the, the intention wasn't there yeah, I mean, it, it seems to me it didn't look like, uh, or it didn't look to me like Rossi wanted to knock 
uh, Marquez off of his bike. But uh, as soon as he sat up, because you could actually hear it, you could um, uh, you could hear it on the onboard. Uh, he was going slower and slower. It was clear that he wasn't trying to make the corner. Um, it was it was it was clear that he stopped racing and was doing something else. The question is, is was his intention to to, to make Marquez fall? I don't think it was. But uh, the, the the course of action which he set in, uh, you know, which he set going. As soon as he sits up and starts looking over at Marquez, that is why he gets the punishment because it was clear that something something was going to go wrong. I don't think I don't think Valentino did anything that anyone who's been go karting with their mates hasn't done. You know, when you sit there in a turn and you just you wait for that guy to kind of rear end you so you can get that little break away. Um, but it, but it was interesting from my perspective looking through the rule book on how few words are given. Uh, to right or conduct, and, and in the sense that there really, there really are none, and so that was always the thing that struck me with with Mike Webb's decision and and why Marquez didn't get uh, some penalty points of his own, and it's because the rule book is so lacking in that regard, and that, that, I think that's very interesting for a sport at this level. Uh, but the, I mean, I I actually quite like the rule book being that vague because uh, it gives the power to make it puts the, the 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 power to make decisions in the hands of race direction where it belongs. Because as soon as you start trying to describe what dangerous behaviour is, um, you open up massive loopholes. And it, it's the, the it's the old legal precedent. I can't remember which uh, U.S. Supreme Court justice it was about pornography. Uh, I know it when I see it. And yeah, you have yeah. to have you have to have that kind of flex flexibility to uh, to make decisions but but that trust you to that, know about that david yeah, david's, <laughs> david's an expert on what good pornography looks like <laughs> but, but neil, that's why he lives in holland neil, i've heard is an expert on what bad pornography looks like <laughs> but to, to speak to your to speak to your point david my, my issue isn't that the rule book is vague my issue is that the rule book doesn't speak to this issue at all i was expecting to on my research to go in and find some sort of catch-all phrase that writers should comport themselves in a sportsman-like conduct at all times you know that would have been a vague that would have been a vague rule but there's nothing the only rule that's there is the endangering other writers exactly no but the, that's the only rule that you do need i mean the, the trouble with sportsman-like conduct um, I, I do I, I can't remember there might be something about bringing the, the sport into disrepute because I, I know that some people have been uh, punished for bringing the sport in, into disrepute uh, I'm not sure whether that's actually even in the in the rule book. But the trouble I, with I haven't seen it if it is. Right. Well, uh, the, the trouble with sportsmanlike conduct is, I mean, what is sportsmanlike conduct? Sure, and, that, and that's a fair question, and it's vague, and I and I and I see the slippery slope. It's just for me, it's interesting that a sport at this level doesn't have that because at least here in the U.S., so many sports do, and we see with our baseball, our American football. Hockey, maybe not as much, but basketball, there's strict codes on behavior of athletes on the court, off the court, off the field, off the pitch. So it's interesting for me to see that MotoGP is completely lacking that. And there isn't something uh, in the rule book that Mike Webb and, and Race Direction could fall on if they wanted to. Not to say that that should happen in this case. Um, I mean, I'm of the opinion that Marquez probably should have gotten at least a little something out of this. But I can't, I can't point to a rule and tell you which one that, that should have been. Uh, put under but uh it's just it's just very interesting i wonder if someone should go back and, and have a think about some of the the rules in that book but i do wonder whether that's because it's a european sport because uh as far as i know uh unsportsmanlike conduct i don't think there's anything in uh certainly not in in you know soccer 
football, European football uh, rule book about uh, sportsmanlike or unsportsmanlike conduct, or else they'd never, no football game would ever, ever uh, finish with more than about three people on the pitch, uh, with <laughs> people falling over themselves. Um, <laughs> There, uh, 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 cycling. I don't think there's anything in, in, in the cycling rule book about sportsmanlike conduct. There's lots of stuff about bringing, uh, you know, uh, bringing the game into, uh, bringing the sport into disrepute, but not about uh, specifically about sport about um, sportsmanlike conduct. Uh, perhaps in rugby, I would have to, I, I'd have to look it up. But I don't know. But so maybe it's just a cultural difference. The fact that the, the this sport has its roots in Europe, uh, at least in terms of uh, the, its organisational roots, that that's why there isn't a, a rule in there in the rule book about, sport, about being sporting, about sporting, sportsmanlike conduct. Yeah, I think you could be onto something there. I mean, uh, um, either Neil or Tony, do either of you two know about other sports or are you all, uh, uh, all bikes all the time? <laughs> yeah, no, uh, f- football, I think, and, uh, and motorcycles are pretty much where it's at for me. So, yeah, in, in football, I don't think there's anything that covers that that grunt sporting conduct. No, no. Sporting I, I, conduct. I'm, I'm the same as Neil. I, I, I follow less football now than I used to. It's mainly because of the lack of sporting, sportsmanlike conduct. <laughs> but diving and feigning injury, I, I used to play amateur football and um, I wouldn't, I would, try and play it as in a sporting way as possible i would if i wasn't hurt i wouldn't roll around on the floor if i if i wasn't tripped up i'd stay on my feet and maybe that's why i, I watch more motorcycle racing because generally it's done in a very sporting way i yeah, think that's well, a really relevant point uh because i know for me just and that's and that's why we had these rules in the u.s you know but for me like coming away from the situation like i'm not going to stop watching MotoGP. i'm not going to become less of a fan but i have a sour taste in my mouth from from all the circumstances and, and from the actions of so many riders that I could, I could see why it could turn someone off and you have to protect the championship at the end of the day. And I think that's where, uh, Vito Ippolito's, um, open letter came from and, you know, and what, and what it was trying to channel. Yeah. Because, because Jorge Lorenzo didn't exactly cover him, uh, cover himself in glory in the, um, uh, in the press, in the post race press conference either. Which was such a missed opportunity for him, I think. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. He he could have he could have been the king of the high road on that one, and I I think he would have won over so many fans on that. Yeah, uh, if he could just have comported himself in the way of a champion, exactly like Danny Pedrosa did. Which Danny Pedrosa did so well. It was it was such a great contrast. Uh, I think for for young racers to to look at and be able to see what it looks like when you do when you're a champion or when you act like a champion and when you don't, I, I shouldn't say that they're not champions. They're both fantastic riders. Yeah. Although, you know, I can kind of see where Lorenzo was coming from because my first reaction was that, you know, after the incident, I thought, okay, Rossi needs to get disqualified. He's going to get disqualified very soon. Um, then he, then it was announced that, uh, he was awarded three penalty points. Um, that initially to me seemed very lenient. Um, and then, you know, you know, looking, you know, how like kind of stressed and emotional you are at this stage of the, of the season, this stage of the day as well, you know, Rossi was taken into race control. He was allowed to see the incident on TV, um, before he was asked to give his version of events. You saw that there was a, I think there's a video on Dorna's, it's maybe on either BT Sports, uh, webpage or on Dorna's webpage, you know, Rossi's sitting there watching the event before he's actually called into race direction. So, 
you know, if you want to be cynical about it, he could effectively get his alibi together watching that. He can see what what race direction has seen and what the rest of us have seen. And he can then think, okay, well, you know, and I, I could see I could see why Lorenzo in the heat of the moment was 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 like that. I thought it was I thought it was unjustified to be honest. No, it, it was it was it was quite nice to have a uh, um, a racer be so incredibly frank and honest. It's just that he did himself a massive disservice. Yeah, because that was yeah, with I hindsight. Mean, go on. Oh, sorry. Yeah, with 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 hindsight, yeah, I agree. Yeah, maybe maybe it wasn't the smartest move, but I can completely understand in the heat of the moment why he would have said that. Exactly. It's what every single racer would be thinking in those circumstances. It's just that the smart racers um, uh, put on a smiley face and pretend that um, uh, that they accept the decision of race direction, and um, uh, I'm I'm sure it'll all be it'll all be fine. Sure, sure. The the one thing I would add is just remember he he had just gotten back from being booed off the podium, basically. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So I mean, yeah. I, I I totally get where his mindset would be after something horrible like that. Like that's just a slap in the face. Yeah. yeah. And, and and can I just say like from speaking to people in the paddock afterwards, I mean like the the overwhelming uh, opinion, the majority of the opinion was that La Rossi, that Rossi had got off extremely lightly extremely lightly a lot of people were, were speaking in quite strong terms that it was you know you know they thought it was nowhere near a, a sufficient punishment um, and that that's from riders team bosses you know so I think you know it wasn't just Lorenzo that was kind of voicing this um, and openly voicing it on the record as well yeah yeah the, I mean we're talking about both Spanish and Italian uh, Italian team bosses the same as, uh, as, as 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 you know obviously Repsol Honda were, were annoyed but um uh, Italian team bosses were were angry as well. It's 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 just been interesting to see um, the the opinion of the paddock, as Neil was saying, was very much that Rossi, the penalty point was what he deserved, uh, as opposed to the the general public's opinion. Yeah, which is on a lot. I mean, obviously, it's it, it's a bit different because um, Valentino Rossi is a is a name that transcends the sport and you have a he has a lot of followers because he's Valentino Rossi. Yeah. Uh and a very emotive reaction to to what has happened as we've seen over social media this week. But the the general reaction on social media has completely different to the reaction in the paddock. Yeah. To the people within with inside the 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 paddock. Neil, you were you were watching in the in the media centre, I presume. Yes, yes, I was. Yeah, yeah. And w um, what was what was the atmosphere like when it when it happened? Uh, disbelief, really. Um, uh, you, you mean the incident in the race with with Ross? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just disbelief, really. Um, I mean, shouting, um, screaming, uh, a lot of Italian journalists, Spanish journalists. There was kind of like a playful kind of thing going on between the two. Um, there was like a desk of Italians, a desk of Spaniards. And the whole weekend, there was kind of like a bit of playful, jovial rivalry, let's say. Um, but yeah, from what I could see, uh, from what I could hear, everyone was just kind of in disbelief, really. Um, yeah. And a few people were kind of getting, standing up, voicing their concerns, you know, kind of shouting for race direction to to take a call. And that, that was from, from Spanish and, and Italians as well. Right. There, I mean, there, there wasn't anyone who uh, thought that Rossi was hard done by at the time. Um, not that I could see, not that I could see, no, no. Um, right. I think off the riders, the only one 
that I heard. Uh, obviously, I didn't speak to the whole the whole paddock, but um, spoke to quite a few MotoGP riders after the race, and the general opinion was that Rossi had got off very lightly. Uh, the only one that that was uh, that kind of said the contrary was Jack Miller. Surprise, surprise. Who, <laughs> 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 uh, you know, bearing uh, bearing in mind, you know, the, the kind of history he's had with the Marquez family said that, uh, you know, I think um, I think what he said was any other rider would have done what Rossi would have done. Yeah. Uh, yeah or R- Rossi did what he had to do, uh, is what he said. Yeah. Um, but he was very much in the minority. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and since then, it's just gone completely insane. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, absolutely insane. <laughs> I think you put it mildly there, David. Yeah, it, 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 the, the, the events afterwards have. Ju- I mean, there's just so much. You don't even know where to start. Just off track. There's been. Uh, I mean, apart from the, you know, just the normal stuff, the death threats to to riders and all the rest of it. The uh, uh, petitions on the internet to get um, uh, to get the penalty rescinded. Uh, the petitions on the internet to get everyone to cancel their uh, their their MotoGP.com subscriptions. The uh, the people petitioning riders on Twitter asking them to get out of the way so that Rossi can race Lorenzo, which I think is absolutely disgraceful because it, it, it's what you're basically saying is, um, uh, yeah, look, I know you don't really matter to anyone at all, so can you just get out of the way? Um, it, 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 just seems, it just seems a disgraceful thing to, uh, to, to be asking riders. Um, well, I, I, think it's a, I think it's an amazing insight into the, the psychology of fandom. Yeah. I think it's just I think it just speaks volumes to the 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 lens and the the, the hewing of the world that you see when you when you have such a a strong fandom for a certain rider and you know it's it's not like it it doesn't happen in other sports it's not like we don't already know about like the Rossi effect in MotoGP and and you know these people that just see yellow but I think it's it, this is the perfect point to to be able to put a spotlight and say like this is what that that does to sport. This is what it does to people because I see, you know, just from my perspective, like my friends who are big Rossi fans or my friends that are big Marquez fans, and the comments that they put up on social media and, and the conversations that they're having and just and just how they describe the event that took place back to me. Like we're literally just talking about facts, but the interpretation yeah. of facts. And and it's it's just so apparent to see the bias that occurs, and I think it's it's tremendously interesting to to the psychologist in me. Exactly. There's a um, uh, there is a Facebook group called the uh, MotoGP Junkies, and um, uh, they use this one picture to uh, avoid the whole debate. You know, every single debate descending into just you know a, a, a Rossi fan thing. Uh, the moderator um, puts up a picture with of the MotoGP grid saying this is MotoGP and underneath there's the, the, the same picture with basically 24 riders all blacked out and just Valentino Rossi in colour. This is not MotoGP, which I think is absolutely right. You know, there is, the, the, yes, Rossi has been an, an incredibly important, I, I, I don't think it is possible to understate how important Valentino Rossi has been for the sport of MotoGP. But when he retires, which will happen at some point in time, the sport will continue. It, you know, it's it, it, we've been doing this since the second motorcycle uh, was uh, was built, and um, will continue long after I'm dead. Um, uh, all you are dead. Valentino Rossi's dead. The Marcus brothers are dead. 
that you can't stop people from racing motorcycles it, because it's awesome. <laughs> it, it is awesome, David. You're right. <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting. Um, you know, MotoGP sends out the spectator statistics for each round uh, on Sunday, and I've been I've been keeping a tally, and every round has had an increase in the number of spectators that have shown up over the race weekend. Yeah, and by most of them, it's ten to twenty percent. It's it's significant. You can you can draw your causation from that correlation however you will, but I do think it's interesting that it's happening on a season where Valentino Rossi is fighting for the championship. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's any question. Uh, there's absolutely no question. I mean, it has been it's been a very good season anyway. But uh, the fact that, uh, that that Rossi's leading the championship and he's and he's shown that he can win races. You know, uh, people want to come and see Valentino Rossi win a race, and he's proven that he can actually do it this year. Um, uh, other than through circumstances, he he can go out and just actually win a race. It's not easy, but but he can do it. I think um, somebody who will be rubbing their hands with glee at everything that's happened in this last week would be the organisers and the, the owners of the Valencia circuit. Because uh, oh, you can't get a ticket for love no money. Egg, eggs. Passes are a premium. Yeah, yeah. Everybody wants to be there. Everybody wants to go. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, uh, there are... Uh, yeah, you can't overstate how full it's going to be. But I do wonder about the... Uh, about the atmosphere because I mean first of all we have um, uh, Valentino Rossi's appealed his uh, um, he's appealed the punishments to the Court of Arbitration for Sport um, which is basically the, uh, the, the if you like the Supreme Court for all sports uh, all sports cases um, and then we had the incident with Mark Marquez being getting into an altercation with uh, a uh, well, what you might loosely call a satirical Italian TV program, uh, where Italian reporters, you know, turn up and are idiots in front of um, in, in front of people. Uh, I can imagine in, that he might be a little bit annoyed about that. But the, the, the atmosphere is going to be is going to be very strange, especially if if Rossi's appeal is, um, uh, or at least he's given the stay, the suspension of the of the penalty for the Valencia round. I think the the atmosphere is going to be a little bit strange, a little bit strained. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I think it's. I think it's incredible to think that Rossi could be going into Valencia with potentially a suspended uh, punishment. Um, to think that what what he did in Malaysia could could kind of be you know, it could be swallowed aside for however long it's going to take, um, maybe until the first race of two thousand and sixteen. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I have. Yeah, I'm really not sure what to think about that at all. Yeah, I mean, the very point of this punishment was to make sure that he suffered a punishment at uh, at Valencia, and so to have it suspended seems seems strange. We have a lawyer, uh, so Jensen. Yeah. Um, what have you read the uh, the rules of procedure for the uh, for the CAS, or uh, and, and what do you think of the uh, of of his chances of getting the stay upheld? Yeah, I wish I'd had more time to, to dive through their cases uh, and really look for the legal nuance. I know one of our colleagues has already done that and uh, posted on Twitter that it, it does seem that there is a precedent for, for Rossi to, to get a stay of his, of his penalty points. Um, my only uh, concern with that is, is looking at the, the circumstances of those cases. And, and it, it strikes me that a lot of those come from football uh, rounds where maybe uh, yellow cards or red cards or, or whatever penalties were imposed 
may not have the same kind of immediacy effect. You know, where we are now in the championship, I think, has a huge weight on the willingness of the cast to um, delay the penalty points being applied to, to Rossi's license until the next season because it has such a material effect on the situation at hand. And, you know, when you look at, um, you know, this is, this is where it gets hard, too, because you're looking at a, a governing body that is rooted into, or I should say a judicial body that's rooted in a, a civil law perspective or a very European law yeah. perspective, whereas the common law, the American, the English, Australian legal system would, would view it in a very different light. So you always have to keep that perspective in mind. I think in a common law court, in, in an American court, for example, uh, I think a court would be very um, reluctant to give that sort of injunction, uh, knowing that it would effectively change the championship so much. Um, I think in a European court system, the or in this case it's an arbitration system, they're going to look very much at the procedural rules involved, the procedural law. The, the idea of uh, a court of appeal is to correct any... Um, any misapplications of the law. They're not looking at so much at the facts, but they're looking at the process. Was was a fair uh, due process given? Is the ability to appeal, um, you know, uh, in a timely and effective way uh, ap- applicable to the, the person, the petitioner? Um, you know, one of the things that strikes me interesting with MotoGP is, you know, you have basically the ruling of race direction, and then you can appeal to the FIM stewards. If the FIM stewards agree with race direction, that's the end of your court, uh, your course of appeal through through the MotoGP championship. Which, as an American lawyer or American trained lawyer, uh, isn't exactly how we would do things here. So that that strikes it as interesting. But you definitely have to keep this perspective that we're dealing with a, a system of law that is probably going to be a little bit more different than a lot of fans are used to. Mm. Or at least um, a good chunk of fans. It's certainly English-speaking fans. Right. English-speaking fans are definitely, this is going to be uh, a different application, a different procedure than, than they're used to probably seeing in their day-to-day lives and their, you know, whether it be through television or their own personal experiences. Um, I'll be very, I'll be very curious to see, uh, one, what the, the Court of Arbitration for Sports uh, comes up with as a ruling and to their reasoning behind it. Cause I think that's actually going to set a lot of precedent within, um, that arbitration process for future events. Do you have a gut feeling which way the decision is going to go? Uh, I don't think it's going to get, I don't think it's going to get stayed. I think, I think we'll see that penalty imposed. I think they're going to defer to race direction and the FIM stewards. Uh, the fact that you have a consensus between two, between, um, race direction and the FIM, the FIM being the, the appellate consensus, yeah. uh, I think speaks volumes. Yeah. 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 I think, I think, I think Rossi needs more of a, uh, I need, I think he needs a better case. I think he needs to make a better case for why this, uh, decision was wrong and why it was, uh, too heavy of a punishment. I think just, you know, talking through our conversations here, and talking about what the the Kenson census was in the paddock with the riders, if anything, it sounds like he got off a little too easy. Yeah. So I think he's going to have a hard time making a case that this was an overbearing uh, ruling. And the fact that it's not just, oh, it's a matter of opinion. I think it should be two points. He thinks it should be three points. You know, he's going to have to prove that 
this should have been one point. This should have been no points. Not that it should have been, you know, one point or two points less. And that's the case he has to bring forward. And I don't think that's there. Yeah, well, I mean, to me, the uh, because I was reading the grounds for getting a stay, and the main one was basically irreparable, irreparable harm. And I think he's got a very strong case for saying that this would cause irreparable harm because, uh, yeah, starting from the back of the grid is um, a serious is a very serious punishment. It's a serious punishment, but you know the the cast also says that they respect the uh, the procedures of the the sports that that come to arbitration. So you know, I think that that cuts both ways. Yeah, 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 yes, yes, yeah. I completely agree with that. Um, as you say, it's going to be really interesting actually seeing uh, seeing which way the, the 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 penny drops on this one. Uh, or they well rather, which way the dice rolls. We shall uh, we shall have to wait and see. Yeah, the, the, only, the only thing I want to add, David, just before we wrap up on that topic is it'll be very interesting in the sense that I don't think uh, Rossi's status in the MotoGP paddock will play as big of a role in the arbitration court. I think it, I, I think it's a neutral enough venue that's, that's removed far enough from motorcycle racing that the Rossi effect will, will be more nullified. And that may give a truer sense of the situation, whether that goes one way or the other. Yes, exactly. He's going to be uh, Mr. Valentino Rossi and not um, uh, the MotoGP star Valentino Rossi. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, hang on, wait. Um, so anything else to speak about, anyone? No, but i got to get going. Okay. Yeah, I just would like to would, just think it's, it's, it's interesting. I think even if, even if Rossi's... Um, even if the penalty is suspended until the first race of 2016, you know, he still needs to finish second if, uh, if Jorge wins. And Jorge's record around Valencia is pretty good. Um, and with a very informed Danny Pedrosa and a very fired up Mark Marquez, I still think even if the suspension is kind of pushed, pushed back, I still think he has a tough job on his hands. Especially, yeah. Yeah, but it, it, having said that, having uh, because, yeah, I mean, the, the, the form that Danny is in is, Danny Pedrosa is in is just, astonishing he's always been really strong around valencia marquez is strong around valencia um uh wherever rossi starts uh, it's not e it's not gonna be that easy for 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 lorenzo to actually win the race because it's it, it's simple i mean lorenzo basically has to win the race whatever just to have a chance so i think i think the championship is still Wherever he starts, it's still completely open. I don't think this is. I really don't think this is over. No, it, no. it's going to be incredibly interesting to see what happens if Valentino's got himself up to sixth place. We go into the last lap with Pedrosa in the lead, Lorenzo in second place, and Marquez in striking distance. Yeah, going into the last corner. <laughs> yeah, <ex> <laughs> what, what's going to happen? Exactly. Yeah, but uh, at, uh, at that point, it just becomes you know instinctive, and you. you I mean. Mark Marquez is never going to finish behind someone if he's got a chance not to. So uh, I, I no. think even if he did have a plan, I don't think he could actually actually you know uh, resist himself. No, I would agree. Right. Well, that's been uh, plenty for us to uh, talk about and something to look forward to. Uh, hopefully, we shall have another Paddock Pass podcast for you um, from uh, before Valencia. And of course, obviously, there'll be one after Valencia. So we hope you enjoyed it. And until next time.
Thank you for listening to the Paddock Pass podcast. You can find us on Facebook and you can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to leave a review on iTunes as it helps other listeners find us. Thank you and see you next time.